now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is MC Money, and I am joined, of course, as always, by Houts, the, uh, I don't even have a nickname for Houts anymore, and Certain the Soccer Dad. And we are here tonight. <laughs> we have an amazing show for you. In just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by John Ledyard of Inside the Pylon. If you follow Inside the Pylon on Twitter, it is a tremendous resource for those who are looking to learn about the ins and outs of the game, really the X's and O's of film analysis. And they partner with the Scouting Academy, which is another great uh, thing, initi- initiative that's popped up on the internet over the past several years. Really tremendous resource. They, they just released their draft guide. We, we each bought it yesterday. We've been scrolling, skimming through it and going through it. It is a tremendous resource. It is a bit pricier compared to other draft guides out there. I think it runs for $35, $30. But I'm telling you, they have former scouts working on this that worked in the NFL. They have former front office executives that worked on this draft guide. They give you the behind-the-scenes scoop on what goes on in an NFL front office from point A to point B throughout the entire year. And it's really a nice look behind the curtain. And they scout their players in this draft guide the same exact way that pro teams scout their players. And Houghton, and I know you've been skimming through this as well, just a absolutely tremendous resource uh, of the things that we have at our disposal these days. Incredible amount of details. I mean, every, every variable that affects a certain position is analyzed and diagnosed and uh, a score is put along with it. There's, there's game tape justification for each of their conclusions. They self-admittedly are very transparent about their process. So it was a great read. And like I was telling you earlier, I wish I could just sip on a beer and, and read that pretty much all day. I mean, that's just, it's a, it's a great read. And here's what I'm looking forward to house before we get your opinion on this draft guide. You know, we just bought a house in January and bought patio furniture, you know, put a beer on the deck and sit down and, and go through this guide. And we're going to be purchasing others. When we get through this one, we'll be purchasing Ian Wharton's. We'll be purchasing Kyle Krabs. We'll be purchasing a few others. And we will bring these people on that create these draft guides. When I ran finmaniacs.com, we did a draft guide and it was a ton of work. I cannot tell you how much time I and others who worked with me on it put into that project. And it was so rewarding when it was done. 
and then to look at your draft guide during the draft and follow up and follow the teams and see things fall in line. It was really tremendous stuff. But House, I know you've gone through this a bunch already. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this draft guide from inside the pylon? Yeah, and like both of you have said, it's just a great resource of knowledge with all the draft prospects. I mean, as a guy who likes to sit and watch some film, I haven't been able to get into it quite as much this season due to work and other issues. But, I mean, the time and the effort these guys put into it, these are former uh, scouts and, like you said, executives within the NFL. And just the time and the effort they put into this, it's just awesome to be able to sit down and see what they're thinking in their head. Like you said, you get to see uh, different film tape grades and, and different resources that these guys have taken their time out of each of their day to sit down and watch that film. And it's just, it's just awesome to be able to sit there and read it. And I mean, I'm looking forward to going through these draft guides when the draft comes because I mean, we all have our opinions. These guys are on a whole other level and it's just awesome stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing, uh, you know, you, you have one, you have this draft guide, which is a tremendous resource. It's 462 pages, but the, but the best thing to do is get differing opinions, right? In anything that you do in life, not this is just for the draft guide. So that's why we are, all three of us are going to purchase the different draft guides that are out there and, and go through all of them and really find out, you know, the differing opinions that come to a consensus for our show uh, before the draft that week in just a few weeks. I think it's, um, what do we got? April 27th? 23 days. 23, 23 days. days. That's three weeks. That is absolutely insane. So I know we're going to talk about the offensive line, interior offensive line, because we've heard Forrest Lamp's name been thrown around a lot lately. But I think there's someone out there that might be better than Forrest Lamp. And we will get into that after we talk to John, who we're going to bring on right now. And John Ledyard of Inside the Pylon. John, welcome to Finside Radio. This is Matt Canato. We're joined by House and Sutton as well. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the first few minutes to the show, but we've been uh, raving about this draft guide that we purchased yesterday, and it is a tremendous, tremendous resource, and obviously we haven't gotten through all 462 pages, but the peak <laughs> behind the curtain of the NFL and the peak you know, of how scouting reports are actually done, this is absolutely tremendous. If you just want to talk about it uh, just a little bit and, and give us a little background on forming it and developing it and the amount of work that goes into something like this. Yeah, sure, guys. Well, first, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it and excited to talk NFL draft. And this draft guide is, is unique, and I think that's what sets it apart. I mean, there are a ton of good draft guides out there, um, you know, done by people who really know their stuff. But what we saw at Inside the Pond is we've got a unique stable of people, and that's where it started with really was. We've got a group of people who we've got, we've got people who've coached, uh, people who've played, and, and not that that's everything, but that, that matters and helps, I think. Uh, people who've studied. Uh, tape and film and read books and, and, and know their stuff. And people have been trained by the Scouting Academy, which is you know, a whole other awesome organization run by Dan Hatman. I think that uh, we get a lot of their writers and a lot of their students come in and, and write stuff for us, and we have a great relationship with them. And um, just when we saw all that education, we saw – you know, the knowledge that we had and, and the ability we had to take the draft and take, put a unique spin on it, really. I mean, we have, you know, got somebody like Dan and other people, too, that have helped, that have experienced from being inside an NFL war room and inside in that NFL experience and, and knowing what that process is like, not only putting the board together, but also developing reports and writing them and, and having area scouts and things like that. So what we did was we basically 
we sectioned ourselves off and, you know, people, we divided up the position groups among people who are most skilled at scouting certain positions, uh, most trained at scouting certain positions. And what we did was we went out and then we assessed those positions. And initially we had people come back with a board of about, it depended on the position. It was different top 10, top 15, top 20 type players at different positions. And from that point, we cut it down as people that were up top, myself, Dan Hatman, Shannon Alexander, and, and Jeff Fayer, we, we, we kind of cut that group down a little bit so that we had a top 100 uh, from that group. And then we went out and we assigned, we gave the, each of the position group scouts you know, those positions to, to look at and to write reports for. And then from there, the, the work really got underway. And the culmination of it's kind of what you see is, and we obviously a lot more went into it. We had to tier them and rank the players and, you know, and break up clusters and the flags helped, you know, we flagged players for medicals and off the field concerns and character and things like that. And so there's a lot that went into it. It would take a long time to explain the whole process, but it was a very fun process. And we also were blessed to be able to get perspective of players and agents and, and different things like that on the draft process. Uh, as well as write some in-depth pieces on what the process looks like and, and get the perspective from people who are inside organizations who know what it's like from a team perspective to add that element to things. And we have fantasy football stuff in there. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. It came together rather quickly. It was a, it was, it was decided on early February. <laughs> so if you wow. can believe that, that's how the fast that's everything kind of came together. And you know, we, the group kind of came together and really could not say more about the inside the pile on team. I wish I could just list them all by name because – now, what they did in a short area, a span of time is pretty incredible. And next year it's going to be even bigger and better because we'll have much clearer purpose on what we're doing and we'll have a lot more time to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're being joined by right, right now uh, by John Ledyard of Inside the Pylon at Ledyard NFL Draft. Sorry, it's Ledyard at Ledyard NFL Draft on Twitter. Give him a follow. Tremendous resource there. Now, the Inside the Pylon Draft Guide, John, is thirty four ninety nine, And when you look at Inside the Pylon Draft Guide, thirty-four ninety-nine compared to other draft guides that are out there that are done by other independent uh, scouts and, and freelancers. Uh, their their guides range from ten to fifteen dollars, sometimes twenty. But I can mm-hmm. tell you from my own perspective, I did not blink mm-hmm. when I read your website of what goes behind making this draft guide and what kind of resources you guys have and all the different personalities and the experience that you bring. I didn't blink paying the thirty-five dollars. And then when I actually yeah, got the draft guide. It was just confirmed, and it is an absolutely tremendous, <laughs> tremendous resource. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think that's what, what was really was unique about it is that we, we were trying to set price points, and at first we were like, oh, you know, low balling, kind of thinking in our head, you know, we'll sell for a couple bucks and here and there. And then we thought about it, and we thought, you know, man, we have all these people that have trained. A lot of them have spent money to be trained, you know, in different positions that, that write uh, consistently good content. And this is our opportunity to put some money in those guys' pockets. And when you're talking about a collaborative team effort, you know, you're talking about, you know, we're getting all getting a, a small part of this, which is totally fine for us. It's about really putting that product out there and creating something unique and special in the field. But certainly that, you know, that's something we really wanted to do up top was be able to give that to, to the people who contributed. So you know, we've been really blessed and, and excited by the purchases so far and by everyone's interest in it. And, and just the fact that it's, it's brought something to the field, I think, that we don't really see. We haven't really seen somebody do something exactly like this. And I think the right. opportunity for it to continue to grow into something even better is there as well. All right, John, let's talk draft now. The Dolphins have, have, yeah. have some, somewhat of a decent – Board to choose from. They, they get, did give away a few picks last year to trade up in certain positions. 
a lot of people have been talking about defense, defense, defense in the first three rounds for the Dolphins, but a name that's been popping up recently is Forrest Lamp, interior offensive lineman who can also swing out the center and possibly tackle as well. Now, your draft guide, um, according to your draft guide, Pat Elfline is someone who could be just as good, if not better. Then you've got uh, Dorian Johnson, Ethan Pochick. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right there. Mm-hmm. But you have him rated as a three, which means he's a starter, flashes Pro Bowl traits. Not consistent, but they are ascending. Um, mm-hmm. So for you, you know, if you have to pick between Forrest Lamp, Pat Elfline, or Dorian Johnson or Ethan, you know, which one of those guys are you picking? And does it make sense for the Dolphins to go interior offensive line in the first three rounds? Yeah, I actually think it does. And I just did a mock draft for fanragsports.com. And in that mock draft, I did it as a what I would do mock draft and and not a predictive one per se. So what I did was I actually gave Miami Pat Elfline in the first round. And here was my reason behind it. You guys remember what happened when Miami's offensive line was all banged up last year, right? Wasn't the same offense at all. So when it was healthy with those five, I remember this clearly because they played my Pittsburgh Steelers with their five healthy offensive linemen, and they ran all over us. And and I remember that game obviously vividly because I had to go watch it on all 22 for my other job (laughs) about 16 times. (laughs) So this is what happens when Adam Gates' offense has five quality starting offensive linemen. They don't have that right now. This this group is hurting – more than it was last season right now. You're moving Larry Tunsil out to left tackle. That's great, but Pouncey hasn't been able to stay healthy. And inside, right. Bushrod's a, a, a capable player. Steen really struggled from what I saw last year. I don't know that you have a guy that you can really count on in the interior, as good as Pouncey is when he's healthy. Um, so that, that being a big question mark, to me, Elfline made a lot of sense because he's got experience in the Big Ten starting at guard and starting at center and performing extremely well in both positions. I think he's probably, I like to stay a little bit more at center uh, this past year. I think it's a really good position move for him. Maybe Pouncey plays guard. Um, in that situation, you could flip those two. You have that versatility. If Pouncey were to get hurt, Alfline can step in at center. If you have more depth at guard, versatility is great. And when you have a guy that can do it at a really high level, I love that about that Alfline. Forrest Lamp gives you that guard tackle versatility. I actually think Lamp may be a little bit of a better player than Alfline or have a little bit of a better ceiling than Alfline. Both are very good players, and I think that they can't go wrong with either. I just like the guard center versatility that Alfline brought to the equation in case Mike Pouncey were to go down again or in case they wanted to play him at guard instead. But both guys are really good, and I think you can't go wrong with either of those two in the first round. John, Halt's here. Love your work. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. For me, my question is this. I I enjoy watching prospects and trying to become a – I mean – maybe a draft Twitter kind of guy, but what is some advice you have for the next generation of scouts, whether it be those guys that write for blogs or, or those trying to get into the business, what advice do you have for them? Well, the same advice I have for myself, to be honest, man, and th- thanks for the kind words. But, you know, to me, it's just all about continuing to learn and get better. When I, my first draft that I did was like four years ago now. And I mean, if you go back and read the stuff I wrote, then you'd laugh. Like it was, it was just bad. And I didn't know what I was doing. And right. since then, just, you know, I played football, but you know, and I've been around it my whole life, but it's different when, when now I coach it. And I think that's added something to it. So if people are really passionate about it and in a position to be able to do something like that, I definitely encourage it, but, you know, read, you know, talk to people who are smarter than you. I work at InsideThePylon.com. I'm probably the dumbest guy there, 
I mean, we talk football, and I learn a ton from those guys. I mean, that, that's been a great for my knowledge base. And, you know, read as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can, go to as many events as you can. You know, you can get credentialed to the Senior Bowl. You know, go down and do it. Go to the Shrine Game in Florida, save up money, and, you know, plan for something like that if it's something you really want to invest in. Because the, the connections you can make there, the people you can rub shoulders with there, it's great opportunity, and it's really right there for people. And I think that it's just about – continuing to work along that path, continuing to invest along that path, um, and continuing to make yourself sharper so that when the opportunities come to rub shoulders with those people, you can leave some sort of an impression. But to me, that's the biggest thing is continuing to learn and recognize the fact that you don't know everything. We're being joined right now by John Ledyard of Inside the Pylon at Ledyard um, NFL Draft. Follow him on Twitter. We do have a few more questions, John, before we let you go. And I know you have a few to, for John. John Sutton here. Thank you very much for spending some time with us this evening. And just to uh, reiterate all the positive feedback for your for your guide here, uh, I thought some of the most intriguing stuff was some of the narrative things that you guys did in the intro there where you're talking about when you guys are setting up your board, you were kind of liberated from – some of the constraints that teams find themselves under. So you guys mm-hmm. can really look at it from a strictly talent mm-hmm. perspective, but teams don't always have the luxury of approaching it from that angle. Right. So I thought that was a very interesting thing that maybe we as fans don't take scheme into account possibly as much as we should. But let me get straight mm-hmm. to a Dolphins question. And now that we have uh, seen Zach Brown sign with the Redskins, it kind of elevates the linebacker concern with the Dolphins. Who's someone you like on day two that you think could fit with what the Dolphins might need at outside linebacker? Day two, I think there's going to be some options. I think somebody like Zach Cunningham makes a decent amount of sense. Though. I mean, I think he's got some traits where you could put him at a Sam, some traits where you could put him at a Will. And, you know, I think ultimately they'll have to decide what they want to do now that they have Lawrence Timmons in the equation and then Kiko Alonso as well. It's going to be, um, you know, the position group is stronger in Miami than I can remember it being since the days of Zach Brown. I'm not even saying I think Kiko Alonso is inconsistent and I don't think Lawrence Simmons is the same player that he once was, but he's still, I mean, this is still an upgrade over what Miami's had a linebacker over the past couple of years. So we'll see how big of a concern they think it is, but I think, yeah, Cunningham can run. Uh, Cunningham is, uh, is athletic and has a really, he's a lanky frame. There's a long tackle radius there. Um, he's not a big impact hitter all the time. I think he might struggle to get bigger guys on the ground in an efficient manner, at least. Um, I, I think that he is a guy who is going to get caught out of position a decent amount until he continues to develop. But with, with those two guys in there, you can bring him along a little slower and eventually bring him into a bigger role. So to me, he makes sense a little bit uh, in Miami in that role. And then if we're looking day three, maybe a guy like Jalen Reeves-Maben who can stay on the field and get Timmons off the field maybe in coverage situations in those long and late downs and and get a guy who has a little more coverage ability in somebody like Jalen Reeves-Maben, undersized for a full-time role at linebacker maybe. Um, It has some injury concerns, but maybe if you can find a niche for him, he can still be a good player for you on day three. All right, John, one more question before we let you go. Just to clarify, the Dolphins in the pit first round picking at 22. They're looking at defensive end, possibly safety. They're looking at interior offensive line, and they're looking at linebacker. Obviously, it's very tough to say um, who who they may pick because we don't know who's going to be on the board. But all things considered, in a perfect scenario, guys are still there. What position do you go, and what player do you pick if the Dolphins are at 22? 
It's a, it's a good question. To me, it came down to when I was doing my mock draft, I was stuck on their pick for a while because to me, and this was, a, remember again, what I would do mock draft. So it came down to me, defensive end. And I think that that needs great because I know they brought back branch and they've got some okay players. There's some okay talent there. They traded for one of the Rams guys. I can't remember who now, but, and they've got Cameron Wake there obviously. And so uh, I think that there's a good group of talent there, but they can be better too, I think. And so uh, I think when you're looking at that group, to me, it really came down to Derek Barnett or Elfline or Lamp. And those were the three names I really kind of rolled around a lot. And, you know, I think guys like Charles Harris could be in consideration as well. Um, I ultimately think that interior offensive line is extremely important because that was when the Dolphins started to turn it around last season, when they started to have the most success, it was leaning heavily in the offensive line. I think he's a good running back. I don't think he's the kind of running back that's going to consistently create on his own without a great offensive line. So building that, I think, is the most important thing for Miami right now. It's a deep group of pass rushers. You can come back in the later rounds and get somebody in the second or third round or something like that. Um, but I think that the interior offensive line, that needs to be addressed right away. And I think that right now there's too many holes there. And if you can get somebody like Elfline, all of a sudden – Pouncey stays healthy, and you've got those two spots now down. I think Tunsil's going to be a stud. I've always liked Juwan James. I think slowly, slow, slowly but surely, there's been some growth there. I know there's frustration with him as well. And Bushrod's capable, and you can maybe get somebody later to push him. And I, I think all of a sudden this becomes a, a pretty solid group again. And so I think that nailing that pick with an interior offensive lineman is uh, fairly important for Miami, I think, in this draft. All right, John Ledyard of Inside the Pylon at Ledyard NFL Draft. Please go check out their draft guide. Purchase it. It is well worth the money. I can't tell you how great of a resource it is. John, thank you for joining us, and we will talk leading up to the draft some more, okay? Hey, thank you guys so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate all the kind words, and hope you guys enjoy the rest of the draft season. All right, will do. Take care, John. All right, tremendous stuff, guys, there from John uh, about the Dolphins. And kind of surprising for me because I know we were going to talk about the offensive guard, and I was going to bring up the point how the Dolphins should not draft an offensive guard in the first two to three rounds. But John's saying that the top three names on the board for him, Derek Barnett, defensive end, Pat Elfline, offensive guard, and Forrest Lamp, offensive guard, that's two offensive guards in the first round for John. Um, House, what do you think? And then Sutton, I want to get your thoughts right after House as well. Yeah, I mean – John's he's at the top, a whole nother level, but I mean, first lamp, he's a name that we keep seeing thrown around, whether it be on Twitter or, or in mock drafts. I mean, an offensive lineman isn't the, I, I don't want to say the pretty pick, but I mean, for what the Dolphins need, I mean, Forrest Lamp, that'd be a pretty damn good pick. And then you got F line. I mean, it's hard to say for me, edge or linebackers, probably the Dolphins biggest need, but I mean, I, I can't see why it would hurt to go offensive guard and, Listening to John, I mean, that just reiterated all that. So, I'm a little torn. What about you, son? Yes, having uh, him say that Elfline was a potential first-rounder kind of caught me off guard just a little bit just because I haven't seen that um, in most of the stuff that I've seen so far. So, I'm going to have to go back and look at him a little bit more, even though I do follow Ohio State. I wasn't sure that he was going to be a day-one prospect. So, I'm going to – take a look at things a little bit more on him yeah he I mean he has two two guards and then a defensive end so he clearly um seems to be leaning towards interior offensive line there I maybe it's a maybe it's a thing against the defensive ends because he only has you know 
obviously Miles Garrett's not going to be there. He only has two other, you know, two guys in the top rung of defensive ends before it drops into second-round talent. So maybe he's just not as high on the defensive ends as some of the other outlets are out there. I would hope that um, that we are able to secure a defensive end that we like, though. Yeah, so everything that I've heard is pointing to defensive end, but I've also been hearing that the Dolphins are really committed to going linebacker in the early rounds as well. But again, like I said to John, we don't know how the board's going to shake out. No one expected Laremi Tunsil to fall to number 13 last year. And the Dolphins had plenty of opportunity there to go Miles Jack at the linebacker position. They ultimately obviously ended up going with Tunsil. And he has all indications of being an absolute stud. We do have callers on hold right now. We're going to bring them on. Let's bring caller number one in. Uh, welcome to Finsider Radio. What is your name and what is your question? Hey, this is Dolphin Fans for Life. All right, Christoph, it's been a while. How you doing, buddy? Welcome back. I'm doing okay. And thanks for uh, getting ready to move again. So just oh, been geez. a little busy. All right, this question is um, going to be for House, okay? Okay. House is, House is going um, to answer it, I should say. Shit. Well, there's been a bit of a dyslexic <laughs> opinion regarding um, talent and when we draft them and when they should be an impact. Um, I remember the days when we used to give people like three years to kind of get their feel and progress and really see what they're, you know, capable of. And it seems like lately, instead of giving first-rounders three years, we're expecting, like, third-rounders to produce in the first round. Is this because of talent, or is this just kind of like us putting too much emphasis on us wanting people to play now? Yeah, great question, Christoph. I definitely think it's more the latter. I mean, whether it be social media or any other uh, way to get the word out there, I mean, uh, fans, just they just have no tolerance for this. And, I mean, you see a guy drafted like last year. We got uh, Kenyon Drake, Leonte Carew. Those are guys that often they moved up for Leonte, and he essentially didn't do much in 2016. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot to do with the fan base, and I, I just think with the way the draft just shapes out overall, I mean – it's this huge three-day event on television. I mean, it hypes up these players. So when a team drafts a guy in the third round, I mean, yeah, you want to see him come in and do well. But ultimately, this is a rookie. They're just getting in the league. So, I mean, to expect them to just come right in, fill that role, I mean, that's a little unrealistic to me. So I think it's more the fans doing it. But, I mean, yeah, you'd like to see these guys step up and become playmakers. But for me, I think we just need to continue to give these guys two, maybe three years. And if – after that, I mean, you saw with Deion Jordan. I mean, how many chances did he get? Dolphins continue to give him opportunities. He just wasn't able to, to ever become anything, really. And it's hard as to say, I wish Deion Jordan the best of luck. But, I mean, he's the perfect example. You get this guy in the third overall pick. You give him a few years to see what he does. You even give him a couple more chances. And he eventually doesn't evolve to anything. So, I mean, the Dolphins had to move on. So, I mean, you get these guys early in the draft. You like to see him produce. But I give him two or three years before I ultimately make a decision. All right, thank you, House, and thank you, Christoph, for calling back into Finsider Radio. Christoph, one of our loyal listeners. We're going to bring our next caller on the phone, uh, and this question is going to be for you. Welcome to Finsider Radio. Who are we talking to, and what is your question? 
Hello, welcome to Finsider Radio. Hello? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear us? Yes, I can. I Usually whenever I call in, I, you hear the beep, so I don't know if it was me or it's not. Kai. Uh, Kai. It's Kai. We we know the voice, Kai. How are you? I, I mean, I'm okay. My computer broke last week, so I've kind of been stressing out. I've been gone for a couple okay. weeks. Okay. But All right. besides you- that, been good. Uh, I had a question for you guys regarding, and now I guess it kind of brings up in terms of the third round pick thing, uh, whether we should be really looking at those high guys at pick 22 or at pick what, 54 right in the second round, uh, or if we should be looking more towards our later picks because I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% positive, but that most of the league is basically late round picks and a lot of, I mean, you saw we moved up to get Deion Jordan and I mean, he didn't really amount to anything. We got lucky with Tunsil falling last year in the first round. But do you think that a lot of, like, the Dolphins fan base should more so focus on the late-round picks and try to get to know those guys and see what picks are there rather than continuing to harp on first-round guys who either might not be able to fall to us or might not turn out to anything in the first place? Hey, Kai, welcome back. The return of some of our loyal listeners, guys. But, um, yeah, so with your question, first-rounders are just – that's where the money picks are. I mean, that the statistics show it. That's where most of your pro bowl and all-pro players are going to come from. Now, if you compare the first round versus round two and all the other rounds in the draft, maybe it's even. I'm not entirely sure, but round one is where you're going to find your money players. So that's – I think rightfully where a lot of the um, time and effort is invested in some of those, um, especially the top part of the draft. I'm sure it was way crazier back when the CBA um, allowed rookies to get paid so much in the draft. But um, that's not to say that these day two and day three picks are not important. And, in fact, this year I think there's a lot of similarly similarly rated players between maybe 12 and 40. So I think this is an ideal type of draft to trade down. Now, obviously it depends on how the board shakes out and what it is we're targeting, but I think this is ideally, you know, you want to be able to throw few as many darts at the dartboard as you can in the draft. So to be able to pick up another pick would be excellent this year. And I don't think we'd be confident very much value either. All right. Thank you, Sutton, for answering Kai's question. Thank you, Kai, for again calling in and welcome back to Finsider Radio. All right. So we talked about offensive guard a little bit after we got off the phone with John. And I just want to bring up one more thing. And I know Forrest Lamp is the hot name, right? Because that's who everyone's talking about. Forrest Lamp, though, he sustained a left leg injury versus Miami of Ohio in 2016 which caused him to miss games against Vanderbilt and Houston Baptist. What's more concerning is that he was ruled out of the 2017 Senior Bowl for the remainder of the week after the first day of practice due to a high ankle sprain. So there are some injury concerns with him. And while he is, you know, maybe the best interior offensive lineman out there, he doesn't, it's not like he has a clean bill of health. Whereas someone like Zach Martin, where he's being compared to, and when Zach Martin was coming out of Notre Dame, he was, you couldn't find a safer pick and a guy who everyone knew was going to do well in the NFL. 
Forrest Lamp is comped to him, but we'll see how that shakes out. Meanwhile, Pat Elfline has just one uh, medical alert, which is a foot injury, which caused him to redshirt as a freshman in 2012. So he's played the past several years, four years, without any injuries that cause him to miss any games. So I agree with John where he says that Pat Elfline would probably be the better pick for Miami. But if you're looking at whether the Dolphins should pick an offensive guard in the early rounds, there's not much. There is a huge drop-off after Elfline. I mean, you got Dorian Johnson and, and Ethan Pochick, I think Pochick, Posick, probably going to say Posick. You got those guys there who are not consistent, who are going to need some help. So if the Dolphins don't draft an offensive guard in round one, I think they're looking at a guy that they could probably take in round two, maybe round three, and work on him a little bit as a little project guy and kind of work to refine his techniques. But if you're looking at a guy who's going to start day one, it's either Lamp or Elfline. But like I said, they are looking also at linebacker and defensive end as well. So let's jump over to the linebacker spot. I know we touched on it a little bit last week, but let's touch on it a little more. Ruben Foster is hands down the best linebacker prospect in the draft. He's probably going to be a top 10 pick, possibly a top five pick. I know people are concerned about his incident at the combine, but listen, that's not going to take him off anyone's draft boards. Trust me. Hassan Reddick, we talked about last week with Kyle Krabs of NDT scouting. He said he's, he knows for sure there are two teams ahead of Miami who has Hassan Reddick at the top of their board or near the top because the boards aren't set yet. Teams are finalizing their draft boards this week and next week. So nothing's set in stone, but it, he's towards the top. After that, you got Jared Davis and Zach Cunningham. After that, there's a drop-off. So John just said Zach Cunningham would be the guy on day two or three. A little bit of a project guy they could bring along slowly when he, they uh, mix him up with Kiko and Lawrence Simmons and Koa Misi. But if they miss on Hassan Reddick, because we know they're not getting Foster, for you, uh, Houts, it becomes between Jared Davis or Zach Cunningham if they're looking for a starter from day one. So I think you're a big fan of Zach Cunningham, so I'm not going to be surprised if you say Zach Cunningham here. Yeah, I mean, between the two, Jared Davis, Zach Cunningham, I'm going to go Zach Cunningham all day long. I think he's a better prospect. I think what he does against the run and even the pass coverage is superior. But for me, he's more of an outside line. One name you didn't mention, Raquan McMillan. I've been a huge fan of him. I've been trying to watch the linebackers this offseason. Uh, it's hard to say between Zach Cunningham, who's an outside linebacker, and Raquan McMillan, who's an inside linebacker. It's hard to say which one of those I would prefer over Hassan Reddick, who, I mean, I was huge on Cunningham early on, but Reddick kind of, he's been my, my guy as of late. So, I mean, for me, I'm probably still going to hang with Zach Cunningham. I disagree with Ledyard, but like we both said, he's, far superior at this, so he knows if he's a second-round prospect or second- and third-round yeah. prospect, that's what he is. But I, I think Zach Cunningham's going in the first round. Raquan McMillan, I think he's easily the second-best inside linebacker in this draft, who if Miami can land him at, what is it, 54, that would that'd be crazy. But, I, right. I mean, for me, it's going to be Cunningham, and then I'm going to go McMillan after that. Okay, so McMillan has a third-round grade by inside the pylon staff, position rank of six, but it looks like they're combining all the linebackers together here. McMillan, uh, who you're talking about, best suited as a uh, 4-3 or 3-4 system that can use a read-react style to maximize his mental processing and ability to fit the run properly. According to Inside the Pylon, an attacking style that requires him to aggressively get downhill all game long will not be to his or the team's advantage. 
He has the versatility to stay on the field in passing situations in a pinch, but is probably best suited as a two-down linebacker. Their one to three-year projection is that he can step in for a team in need of a linebacker immediately or fill in as a backup on special teams in his rookie year. But by the third season, they believe he has the potential to be a solid or slightly above-average starter in the right scheme if he can get stronger. For Zach Cunningham, I know John touched on it a little bit. Inside the pylon staff says that playing weak side linebacker would be his best fit. By playing there, he could showcase his sideline to sideline speed, chase down plays, and make more angle tackles rather than head-up tackles. So like you said, how is Cunningham more as the outside linebacker, McMillan more as the inside linebacker. There is one to three-year projection by inside the pylon staff. Start in year one at weak side linebacker, but ideally they would like to see him utilized as a role player in his rookie season. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. But I also mentioned Jared Davis. And for you, Sutton, I want to hear your thoughts on Jared Davis. And if you would pick Jared Davis over Cunningham or McMillan, like how said, there are some injury concerns about Jared Davis. He missed the final three games of a sophomore season in 2014 because of a torn meniscus. In his senior season in 2016, he suffered a severe ankle sprain and missed four games, including the Outback Bowl against Iowa. He did sit out the testing portion of the combine due to the ankle injury, but he is expected to be fully recovered from his injury prior to training camp. So, again, injury concerns with Davis there. But, Sutton, your thoughts on Davis compared to Cunningham, compared to McMillan because House brought him up. And, of course, we know that Foster and Reddick are better than all these guys but we're thinking that there's no way neither of them fall down to 22. Right. And I truly like all three of these guys. I don't think we could make a wrong pick here. I think each of them brings something a little bit different that each of them could fit a, a niche in this linebacker unit. And I think that's what's going to, what we're going to see out of this linebacker core this year, a little bit more amoeba stuff, not necessarily where people start the game is where they finish it, you know, and, we're going to bring in different linebackers in different packages. Um, so don't forget that Koamisi might actually play some games this year. So I, I think if we go the Jared Davis route, I think he fits better as a strong side linebacker. So he would actually kind of be competing with Koamisi, which obviously wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, even, you know, Koamisi did take the pay cut, so uh, he might be relegated to backup duty anyway. So maybe get Jared Davis in there. And where he is truly elite, he is a strong and tough dude. And the collisions I saw solve his with offensive linemen. I mean, he's running full speed and absolutely jarring offensive linemen with his strength. So I think he would be a beast setting the edge and being, he might, he might be more of a two down linebacker to start his career. Um, but my, grow eventually because he does have some pretty decent play speed. I think his weakness is maybe the reaction to what he's seeing. Uh, one of his biggest weaknesses that we saw in the draft guide was um, some of the um, behind the line of scrimmage uh, pre-snap motions and zone reads and some of those where he's making multiple reads uh, can slow him down a little bit which can slow his play speed down and then he's not in the right spot. Um, so you'd have to consider some of those things. Um, it's tough for me because I live in Buckeye country and I really like Raekwon McMillan. I think he could play in a couple different spots for us. I ultimately have to uh, agree with my man Houts here. 
I like Cunningham's length, and I do think he has a frame that can put on some more weight. And I don't necessarily think that weight's going to slow him down either. So I think that's going to help him with some of the tackling stuff um, that maybe we've seen on tape. Uh, so to get him a little bit tougher, get him in the weight room. But I like his overall skill set a little bit better than uh, McMillan or Davis. Okay. And like I said, you know, the Dolphins are making a priority to get better at linebacker. But again, it's very early. We're talking about early round prospects here. We're not getting into the day uh, three stuff, really. We're really talking about day one and day two right now. But as we get closer to the draft, we will dive a little bit into the later rounds. But really, our focus is going to be on the first round, the second round, and the third round, because we know those are guys the Dolphins are looking to start right away. So again, we'll have to see how the draft board shakes out. There could be a situation where Hassan Reddick does drop and within reach of the Dolphins. And we saw last year, they are not afraid to trade assets away to go up and get the guy they want. And Hassan Reddick would absolutely be a dominant force, in my opinion, in this Miami defense. And if he is in striking range, I say the Dolphins should absolutely go for it, even if that means trading maybe their third-round pick. Um, Now that I say it out loud, maybe not. But, you know, we will have to see. We will have to see. They do have so many needs, right? They have a safety need. They have a defensive end they have linebacker they have a lot that they need to take care of and they also want to get better at cornerback so trading down isn't out of the question either but again it's all dependent on how the draft board shakes out okay so there's nothing uh crazy going on in the live thread there was a question about zach brown for the money that he was given by the redskins about 4.6 million the dolphins should have picked him up yeah the dolphins did offer a little less than that well i'm not really sure what zach brown was trying to do this free agency period is very unorganized very messy his agent obviously didn't do a good job. Zach Brown fired his agent, hired a new one, so that kind of puts a halt on things. But really just an unorganized process. Almost went back to the days of Joel Philbin running the Dolphins where no one knew what was going on. And that's kind of how it seemed with Zach Brown. All right, on Twitter, we have a question from Rob Carruth. Of course, uh, now that Brown has signed elsewhere, what is the Dolphins' draft priority order in the first three rounds? So I kind of spoke on that a little bit, Rob, but let me clarify a little bit. Again, it's really hard to tell when we don't know what the draft board is going to look like, but I've been told the Dolphins are looking heavily at cornerback, they're looking heavily at linebacker, and they're looking heavily at defensive end. Several months ago, I tweeted out that the Dolphins would like to go defensive end in the first round. We'll have to see if things have changed since then, but all things considered, if their defensive end is on the board in 22, I think they're going to go for that because remember they got Cameron Wake as a pass rusher. They have Andre Branch who's really a pass rusher. Now William Hayes is more of a balanced guy, not your really pass rusher type, but more of a run stuffer and setting the edge. They need another guy like Hayes who can come in and set the edge and help with the run game. And there is no doubt in my mind that Dolphins will look to do that in the first round and possibly the first two rounds of the draft. All right, House and Sutton, before we sign off for this week, anything that you want to add? I love you guys. Go Dolphins. All right. Sutton tells us he loves us. House says go Dolphins, and that is absolutely correct. We are just 23 <laughs> days away, three more weeks. I love you, guys. Three son. more. <laughs> and we'll be back, of course. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be back next week on the 11th, and then we got the 18th, then we got the 25th. So we got three more shows. We're going to have three different draft analysts on one each week to talk about what they think the Dolphins should do. And uh, – also about their draft guides and how Sutton and I will be diving into multiple draft guides 
over the next several weeks. So Kyle Krabs last week told us that he would go, was it safety in the first round? He would he would have gone safety in the yep. first round last week. We had yeah. John Ledyard tonight tell us he's going to go offensive guard in the first round if he was Miami. So we will have information on who's going to be joining us next week in the next few days. We'll have to get their opinion as well as to see which direction they would like to see Miami lean in. But that is all for tonight. We talked offensive guard. We talked the linebacker. We talked a little bit about defensive end, but we will dive in much more on the defensive end position next week and possibly cornerback as well if we have time for that. Otherwise, we'll push it to the next week. For Houts and for Sutton, the soccer dad, I am MC Money. Thank you for joining Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next week. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.